for launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Sight and site expert Stephen Kabitza. This DJ is so funky, man. Okay, let's go. We finally have some actual Cleveland Browns football to talk about here in the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. We're here right after the game on Sunday afternoon recording this. The Browns did lose 21 to 18. I'm Stephen Kibitz. I'm joined by Andrew Side. Andrew, obviously a loss, but how are you feeling after this game? You know, I, I don't feel awful. I think there were a lot of games last year where we did feel pretty bad after the game and it uh, it because it didn't go well for the Cleveland Browns. But there were a lot of things to take away from this game that uh, I think bode well for the rest of the season. And we have a lot of positives and negatives to get into with a loss. As much as we want to be positive, it's still a loss. Um, I think the main thing to start with was earlier today I texted you you know, and said phase one of being a Browns fan is the initial excitement of the game. You know, Before the game, I said phase two is the despair. And you said, when, when does phase two set in? I said, first sign of doom. That first sign of doom was a blocked punt <laughs> by Pittsburgh after a three and out just minutes into the season. What were your feelings after that punt was recovered for a touchdown? Oh, I, I tweeted that I was already done with the 2017 Cleveland Browns. Oh, boy. I think the official time was 109. So I, I, I replied to myself and said that I it took me nine minutes to be done with this team already in 2017. Obviously, <laughs> I was a little short-sighted as uh, I was only brought back as soon as they be, they came into positive yardage. So once that happened, I was okay. But, you know, that's just not a way you want to start a season if you're any team. And the fact that the Browns had already such a negative first drive to cap it off with uh, a costly punt blocked punt resulting in a touchdown you know just kind of grounded grinded my gears to start the season and ultimately that block punt was the difference in the game I mean obviously Mm -hmm. if that doesn't happen there are the whole game is going to play out differently most likely but you lose by three points and you have a block punt for a touchdown to start the game that yeah. really that is the biggest play from the game and it was the fourth play of the season yeah you know it's similar to what you said with the, with the first sign of doom you know I, I almost considered that with miles garrett being out you know that's the first sign of doom for this team because if you didn't watch the the browns played a good game defensively but there was just not enough quarterback pressure as evident on that last drive that ultimately sealed the browns fate but we have a lot to catch up on before we get into that. Steven, if you were to paraphrase, you know, this game in a few, maybe one or two sentences, what what would you say was the overall feeling after you watched this game? I'd say promising, but still plenty left to see. Um, it was a promising game in the sense where the Browns have low expectations. They were so bad last year. We we're just used to such bad quarterback play. We saw some good quarterback play out of Deshaun Kaiser. But he was on the ground, often getting hit a lot, and most of the time it was his fault. He wasn't yeah. throwing the ball away. He was taking some monster hits. Um, from the defense, same thing, promising. But you, I always I always have the problem of me saying, oh, well, you know, they played well, we still lost. But for teams to win, if your offense is playing bad, your defense has to play better. And they gave up some really big plays to Antonio Brown, um, some touchdowns to Jesse James, outlaw tight end. <laughs> and the special teams had that debacle of a play no real 
nothing really in the return game from Peppers. Had a you know a few bursts, but I think one just, thing that really stood out to me was just that Pittsburgh was almost shooting themselves in the foot more than the Browns were succeeding. You know, I they were playing a lot of so the, dirty. Yeah, I think a lot of the run plays that the Steelers had were bottled up nicely by the Browns defense, but there were also a lot of pass plays that that just weren't completed. You know, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger was too inaccurate. I think there were a lot of good plays made on the ball defensively. But when you look at the stat line, especially to Antonio Brown, you don't necessarily get that same feeling. It was it was a mixture of them shooting themselves in the foot with penalties. It was a mixture of, I think we talked about before we started recording, Le'Veon Bell didn't really do much. Mm-hmm. But was it a, it, like you mentioned to me, it could have been a, a factor of the team kind of not giving him the ball as much because of his holdout, which could be looking into it too much, but maybe not. Yeah, he didn't get his first carry until the end of the first quarter. So especially with a team coming out with a 7 nothing lead where they really didn't have to earn anything, it was kind of puzzling that they didn't run it more early and often. But yeah, like you said, you know, he held out. Maybe that's kind of punishment for have at least a perceived lack of chemistry with the offense being out for so long. And the first game of the season, you're going to have some issues just in general. Not everyone really played together that much in the preseason. I mean, that team's been together for a while, Mm -hmm. but you're going to have those issues. And I think the first half, the Browns defense may have looked a bit better than they are because of those issues. And it's just kind of a waiting game of, man, I'm kind of waiting for Antonio Brown to have some big plays in those plays game in the second half. Yeah. I mean, mean, look at the the first quarter. I had some thoughts at the end. You know, the Browns have shown the ability to move the ball. You know, they're completing plays that are past the first down marker, converting on third down. The D did a nice job. They limited Pittsburgh, and I didn't know this, to actually zero first downs in the first quarter. So attributed to good defense, Pittsburgh being rusty, you know, either way, it's still a pretty nice accomplishment. And the Browns are just dominating time of possession and plays run. And if you look or listen, last week I mentioned that being able to dominate the ball in a time of possession is a key to victory uh, for the Browns, especially with that, that big attack in Pittsburgh on the offensive side of the ball. And they did a good job of that in the first half. And you know, I think they ended up with a, a longer time of possession than Pittsburgh did. But, you know, as the game turned out, obviously not in the Browns favor. No, that was one of our main keys was just moving the ball. It's very basic. It's something you need to do in youth football to be successful, but the Browns couldn't do it last year. And that's why on that first drive before the block punt, that three and out was, oh man, this is not looking good. But then Kaiser was able to get some time. The play calling was good, I thought. Mm -hmm. I think them moving the ball was a mixture of Hugh Jackson calling play as well. Also Deshaun Kaiser stepping up with not much help from the running game. That's a huge... If you agree with that. Oh, no, I totally agree. I think... Kaiser had to do well like if you look at the first half I mean, he was facing a lot of third and long and what does that tell you that tells you that they're not able one there's either penalties going on or they're not able to get early yardage you know from the run game I think Crowell was 17 of 33 like that's terrible that's under I think that's just over two yards that's under two yards 1.9 yeah 1.9 yards per rush uh supposed monster year coming from Crowell you know he really didn't show anything in in the entire game until that last touchdown drive with a couple of plays made in the passing game. But again, you know, it goes back to even at draft time. Sometimes, sometimes Browns fans didn't want to take the gamble on a, a running back at 12 or having that elite back. You know what that does for you that it just, if Crowell continues to not play that well, 
it's going to really hamper the Browns offensively and make them really one-dimensional. You need that elite back in order to make your offense flow and have a well-balanced offense. Yeah, the way he played, it was almost they might be searching for some replacements. Right? I mean, Day's got a lot of work in that game, in the running game, and I don't think it was by – I mean, it was. I think Hugh Jackson forced, was forced in his hand. He had to try and get something on the ground. And, you know, 19 or 17 carries for Crowell, that's that's a lot. Is it was it 19 or 17 total? I was 17 carries, 17 carries. I mean, that that's kind of what I anticipated. But, you know, he's got to make the most out of that. And he didn't today. He did get two catches for 33 yards in the receiving game, which was nice. But that was just kind of a factor of him being the main back and picking up some. He had that one nice reception where he stayed on his feet and picked up a first down. But it was still a disappointing day. From yeah. him, I think uh, another point of note out of the receiving core, or not receiving core, the rushing running back groups, was Duke Johnson in the receiving game, was getting open a lot. Kaiser was missing him, but that's a whole other piece of the offense that could be really helpful, given the receiving core is still pretty, half of it is new, and no one really stepped up today. And the other half can't, yeah, exactly, the other half can't step up. No, I, I agree, Duke Johnson is... I mean, he was open a few times. I, I think it was the third or fourth play of the game down the sideline, you know, when he's matched up on those linebackers. And if he's got the ability to get downfield like that, Kaiser's got to be able to hit that throw. There were two of them, down, two or three downfield that had a real good shot at getting a ton of yards that he was just a little bit long on. Two to Duke Johnson, one to Cason Williams as well that was out of bounds. Uh, but I think Cason Williams got to do a little bit better job there on being – aware of where the sideline is at and getting his two feet down i think that's more on on williams than it is kaiser yeah sticking with the receiving core i mean we're talking about big plays from the game game changing plays we have the block punt another one was a kenny Britt drop i believe it was in the fourth quarter it if may I'm correct. have been it was a, i know it was like second and 20 and they yeah and like it was like clearly had running room and, and would have been a first down yeah and Britt just flat out drops that ball doesn't keep his eyes on it um, just does nothing to really build on. I mean, he's actually doing incredibly well in building on his terrible postseason by making it worse, but he's doing nothing to make himself a viable option at receiver for this team. I mean, they he's get, he's got this guaranteed contract. He comes over from St. Louis. He's supposed to be a possession receiver, and he hasn't been able to catch the ball. So how long are we going to have to keep playing this game with Kenny Britt until he really shows why we ponied up all this money for him in free agency? Yeah, he finished with one catch for 13 yards. It Obviously, that drop was bad. I think today was a mixture of the play calling, um, just the receivers just not being that good. I mean, Kenny Britt, obviously, with the money he's getting. Well, he wasn't involved all day. I yeah, mean, it, it, only at uh, three targets. Sec- that first... I think that first catch he made was the first time he had had a target. And we were like, oh, wow, Kenny Britt made an appearance, and then he had that drop. So, you know, it's if he's not going to be able to step up, throw a guy like Sammy Coates out there, and maybe they're waiting for him to get acclimated to the playbook and things like that. But, I mean, someone's got to be better than Kenny Britt, and I hope hope that Kenny Britt himself can turn it around before we have to result to possibly bringing in somebody else. Week one is always tough to make concrete statements but i do agree it's it's if you're bringing someone in to be your number one or one a one b i would understand if it was like a guy like sammy Coates that had just came in like last week kenny britt's been here since training camp he had these problems in the preseason 
how like how long is this going to continue before Hugh Jackson is sick of it? You know, I'm already sick of it because it cost us a potential. Like even in that preseason game, you know, if you're down in the red zone and you drop a ball like that in the red zone, that could have like that's probably a touchdown there. The fact that you're not able to make those kind of plays, it puts a little bit of doubt not only in the player's mind, the coach's mind, but Hugh or Deshaun Kaiser's mind too when he's throwing him the ball is he going to be more hesitant to throw to Kenny Britt over someone else? Because, you know, there's just not that confidence there that he's going to be able to make a play. Sticking with the theme of kind of game-changing plays, another one came at the end of the third quarter, came after the Browns were in a good position. Kaiser got sacked, but TJ Watt did a very foolish thing and just kind of jumped on him after he was already down. Roughness penalty. Next play, Kaiser throws an interception. No one was open. Nope. Well, it was weird when I was watching the game. I heard the crowd kind of like, get yeah, up they were going nuts. like as he threw it. And I was like, did he like usually like at least in my experience at the games, when that happens, there's somebody open that the quarterback doesn't see. So I, I don't know if that truly was the case or what happened there, but I thought it was real weird. He threw the ball and the whole crowd like ooed before he while the ball was in midair. And maybe they knew they saw that pick coming before uh, before I did. But, you know, I just thought it was an interesting thing. No, I heard that too. You hear the crowd noise and you're assuming that someone's wide open because mm-hmm. obviously you can't see the whole field on TV. But then he just threw a pass that even if it got over TJ Watt, who ended up redeeming himself and picking it off, it didn't look like it was going to be a completion anyway. No, I, I think the receiver behind him like was also covered. So it just didn't, the whole thing. Yeah, that's how at least what I saw. Smell right. So, I mean, he's going to have those mistakes and I, I understand, you know, it's frustrating to watch obviously, but it's not like a, and out routes getting picked off for a pick six. You know, he he made a rookie throw. That I, I wrote an article. I wrote an article a few weeks ago about pros and cons of starting to Sean Kaiser, and and two of those cons were exactly what we saw this week. You know, he's holding onto the ball too long. He he's gonna make those rookie throws like he did for TJ Watts interception, you know, these things are going to happen. I think once he watches the film, he's going to be able to build on it, but it's not like we saw anything that we didn't expect. And we actually saw some things positively that give us a reason for optimism moving forward this season. I think the mo- the biggest positive was the touchdown drive he led at the end of the game. The team was down oh. 21 to 10, mm-hmm. get the ball back. It could be a point where if you don't, score the game pretty much over mm-hmm. he leads the team down the field Corey coleman holds on for a great reception touchdown reception then they get the two-point conversion 21 18 they ran out of time at the end but that touchdown drive to me at least showed me and something i noticed during the game that i mentioned to someone who i was watching with brandon onda frequent listener and subscriber <laughs> was that the throws kaiser was making just the, the accuracy and the speed he had on the ball. Right. I was thinking, I was like, Cody Kessler could not have made those throws. I Brock Osweiler s- can't make those throws. And it was just, even the one to, I believe it was to Njoku at the beginning of the game. It was a mm-hmm. little behind him, but he caught it because, and there was a defender right there. It was because the throw was so hard and right on the money. Yeah, man. I was texting, I was texting my dad during the game and I was like, you know, there's some of them that go inaccurate. But, you know, just the zip that he's got on the ball is something that I haven't seen in a quarterback for the Browns, I would say maybe since Brian Hoyer. But even then, man, this guy can put it wherever he wants. And that is so crucial on how many times did we see today, like third and five, third and six, just like a seven-yard sit route, out route, something small. It needs to get him a first down. And, you know, he can zip it right in there 
to have it to have the defense really not be able to do anything about it. So I, I agree. You know, ha- watching him throw the football is is really fun. That was my main positive from the whole mm-hmm. game was his play in the sense where with the options given to the team, he was the best option. And I'm glad that he's not sitting on the bench behind Brock Osweiler. That yeah. would have been totally miserable if we had a situation like today when look at Houston. Tom Savage comes out, plays like Garbage. crap. Everyone knew he would. Strip sack, recovered for a touchdown, a return for a touchdown. The end of the first half, he's benched for Deshaun Watson. It's you spend your whole offseason with Tom Savage. It takes two quarters, and now you throw Deshaun Watson out there. That's probably what would have happened with the Browns. Yeah, if they would have I, kept I, Osweiler. I 100% agree with you. I think you're you're spot on right there. One thing, just looking back through my notes here, I noticed. So the Browns are, are really doing well, you know, even like halfway into the second quarter. I'm looking at one of their drives here. Uh, Pitt, Pittsburgh killing themselves with penalty. Brown stuff levy on third and one. You know, they're, so they're playing well. Everything is going well until Joe Schobert tips the pass as it's going to Antonio Brown right into his chest. And it goes for 58 yards. Like, and that set up the Jesse James touchdown, I think, the one you were talking about, uh, the little shovel pass. But, you know, it's just just what if that ball doesn't go get completed? You know, even though he tipped it, you know, it's it's good placement. I think it's just the unfortunate way the ball bounces sometimes that, that good teams get those breaks. And, you know, teams like the Browns, unfortunately, have to make those breaks versus getting them granted to them like teams like Pittsburgh. So just thought that was a little interesting. That Kaiser, or not Kaiser, that Kenny Britt drop, by the way, was in the fourth quarter, and it came right after Kindred picked that ball off in the red zone, which was a huge, huge play defensively because Pittsburgh was driving there. Yeah, before I get to that, I was just going to mention, or at least add on to your thing about those lucky bounces. I saw that, and I said, that is a lucky bounce, but at the same time, that's why Antonio Brown's considered one of the better receivers mm-hmm. in the NFL, because yeah. he, he was, he's going to make those grabs. His reaction time is insane. And even he was get he was making catch. I think he was like held on that play too. Kenny Britt's not making though. that catch. Yeah, Kenny Britt's ball not was tipped, so you're allowed to hit him. But yeah, man, that was that was a. And then he caught it, and there's four guys around him, and he's like a cat. He just stops, and then he just runs around everyone. It's like his. I'm sure he sees things in slow motion out there. The Browns need one of those guys. Yeah, they just need to scour the Mac, find the next Antonio Brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or maybe I mean Corey Coleman. I think that's another positive, too, is Corey Coleman didn't look awful. I mean, like he's starting him and DeValve, too. It's one of my offensive takeaways. You know, they're really starting to build a good rapport. I think DeValve is looking to be his go-to option at tight end. Najoku's slowly coming along, and Coleman seems to be, you know, running his routes efficiently. I think he beat Hayden on a, on a comeback route for a decent gain. You know, Joe Hayden didn't play all too well, although the stats, stats f- favor him positively, but... You know, I, I saw him get burned a couple times, so I don't think Browns fans should feel too bad about that. He got burned by Duke Johnson once or twice, and a good throw, completely different viewpoint of how he played. Yeah. I thought that the a lot of NFL pundits thinking that the Browns were tanking because they cut Joe Hayden was obviously a little off the mark, but Joe Hayden's going from a Browns defense that's probably going to, re- that would have required him to play so much man defense. You know, it's it's as you noticed today, the front seven is going to do a lot of is going to be very aggressive and the safeties are playing back. So that puts a lot of pressure on the cornerbacks. When you go to the Pittsburgh defense, it's a lot of zone, a lot of zone, a lot of dropping back in coverage. You don't have to cover a guy man to man. You're covering a zone as aptly named. So, 
you know, I think it's a good, a better scheme fit for Joe Hayden, but apparently doesn't seem to be that good of a scheme fit if he's still getting burned by backup running backs. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the uh, deep safety alignment the Browns are running? I personally like it. I think with Jabril Peppers back there, he, there was a few times where um, there was some miscommunication and there were some first downs by the Steelers, but Peppers was always catching up immediately. It was never a point where I think the deep the, having the deep safeties was an issue. I like it, and it was. I mean, I just bring it up because it was such a focal point for the announcers during the game. They really pointed out. Yeah, I thought that was weird. It seemed like they could go two or two plays without mentioning it but you know if it works why bother with it I think like you said there was a miscommunication on on one of the first downs with Jesse James where just no one covered him and I think that's where it kind of gets you bit a little bit or a lot of those underneath routes where you're almost too you're so far back that you just can't even no matter how quick you react you're never going to get there in enough time I think it's nice that they're not going to let anything go over their heads because that's something that we've seen time and time again with Pittsburgh is their deep threat and their ability to just score on one play. So the fact that we were able to prevent those large chunk plays for the most part, you know, I think it was just a a testament to how scheme wise, how good Greg Williams system truly is, or at least maximizing his players that he has to do to maximize their strengths. I should say, I think, I I do think Joe Schobert got abused a little bit in coverage today. You know, I, I, he's had a good preseason, and he had a good game. He had nine tackles and a couple big hits, but, you know, he was in coverage, I believe, on both of those Jesse James touchdowns. So you look at the uh, Calvin Pryor for Demario Davis trade, and you wonder if, if maybe Demario Davis is a better cover guy, but I, I, I don't really know too much about his game to, to make an accurate assessment on that. Yeah, that trade is might not be looked upon as a – big of a deal as it maybe should be because demario davis was kind of the captain of the defense on one of the worst years in team history but yeah definitely something to keep an eye on i didn't see i think i agree with your take on Schobert. i didn't think it was looked like he was completely overmatched i just think it was also a situation of the steelers are very good he made like that first touchdown that he had he was good coverage i mean i think the ball just the pass genuinely beat the coverage that time so i can't complain too much but you know he is the guy that gets held accountable for that you know but sometimes you do just get beat even with good coverage so it's not like he played a bad game but I think that they have to address you know some tight end concerns or at least so that way when we do play a tight end that is a little bit more athletic or a little bit more versatile that Joe Schobert's able to keep up do you want to move into your MVP of the week or do they have to be on the Browns (laughs) Yes, uh, my MVP. I think we might have the same one. Uh, actually, mine's Greg Williams. So I switched it I up like a little it. bit. I, I couldn't really call a specific player because while there was a good, you know, a good effort from both sides, I think there was just a little too much inefficiency from all levels of each, like offensive characteristic. You know, Kaiser played well, but he threw the pick in the red zone to cost them potential points, you know, things like that. Greg Williams, aside from the big pass interference call that led to a Pittsburgh scoring drive and that punt touchdown, I mean, those are two big plays that call the pass interference penalty what you want. I think it was still a pass interference, but, you know, that's you can't really control that. So he took away the other wide receiver production away. I mean, it centered mostly on Antonio Brown, but, you know, the other guys were, Le'Veon Bell included, really non-existent. So I think that's a good testament to, to what Greg Williams has been able to do so far. 
If I had to pick in general, I would have to copy you, but I'm going to take a little different shot at it. Mm. I'll shift, say, I'll give an offensive game ball because really on the defense, I think the defense as a whole was the strongest suit of the game for the Mm -hmm. Browns. Offense, there wasn't really an MVP, but I think if you had to give out some positives, it'd be the play of Deshaun Kaiser. Mm -hmm. I would give it to him. Um, I don't know much about how it could really break down the offensive line play. Maybe there is a worthy candidate, but I mean, people who talk about the Browns, I don't think a lot of people are talking about the line right now. So I'm just going to go with Kaiser. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what some people think of how Joel Cade specifically would think of how how well the offensive line played. I just don't, you know, obviously when your team gives up seven sacks, you, you, you look on paper and say that that's not a good job by the offensive line. Obviously we know a lot of that happened because Kaiser's holding onto the ball too long, but there's a reason why he's got to escape the pocket. You know, maybe he's a little skittish or maybe there is truly some pressure going on. So hopefully this team can figure out, you know, the team chemistry offensive line wise to make sure Kaiser isn't, uh, isn't on his back too often. Yeah, so overall, I, are we, I was just going to lead into probably the same thing you're leading into. Probably. Is it, uh, another talk of your love for Deshaun Kaiser? No, I was actually going to talk a little bit about kind of what was going on in the third quarter. You know, I had an issue with some of the play calling that Hugh Jackson had. I have it labeled as a key drive because it is, it gets capped off by TJ Watt intercepting the ball, but they have a third and two. Okay. Kenny Britt makes that 13 yard catch. They have a third and two and Hugh Jackson runs a swing pass to Crowell, like a swing pass. Out Six of the yards behind the line. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't understand why like if anything he's averaging two yards a carry so just i mean take the take the chance that he's going to be able to get two yards for you and run the freaking ball or better yet run a pass pattern that let your strong arm quarterback just zip it into someone for three yards i don't understand it's similar to what that terrell Pryor end around was last year on the goal line in pittsburgh i don't understand the play call and it's not it doesn't come down to yardage you know third and two is pretty easy don't run swing pad. Don't run something that could get you a negative so easily. <laughs> you know, I, I, that was the one thing I really did have a problem with. Completely agree. When that play happened, I said, I don't understand why Crowell had to get the ball so far behind the line of scrimmage to expect him to pick up all those yards. Yep. Kaiser was making those short throws to DeValve, Coleman, even Lewis. Oh, he made a first down to DeValve right after that on fourth and two. It's a great play. And then again, he takes another sack for holding the ball too long. So I think that's when the TJ Watt penalty happened and subsequently picked off. So, you know, there's a lot of things that happened in that short stretch of time that made it really a key drive for how this game was going to shake out. And unfortunately, it ended up going Pittsburgh's way. Uh, That play, I can't really pick out other specifics from the game, but I do agree that some of the play calling, even uh, my... I mean, I know it's their offensive system, but some of the runs out of the pistol formation just weren't really doing much. No, it, none of the runs in general were doing anything. It was frustrating. Not even, not anybody. I mean, Duke Johnson was banged up a little bit, but there's just no, I don't know if it was a lack of push from the offensive line or lack of vision from the running backs, but, or just a good job from Pittsburgh's run defense. I, I truly don't know. I'll have a, obviously a, <laughs> a week to figure out if their run game is truly that pathetic, but you know, give give Pittsburgh credit for coming out and making the Browns truly one-dimensional. So I also have another key drive here in the fourth quarter. Um, I think we sh- – actually, it's probably the biggest play of the game. 
uh, that sealed the Browns' fate. Second and 12, you know, the the Browns get a nice holding penalty that gives you hope that it, they can create maybe a third and long that and they can force a punt, get the ball back. Uh, ben scrambles out of the pocket and heaves it to Antonio Brown, who makes just a fantastic catch in between four Browns defenders, none of which happened to turn around and look where the ball was going. Uh, it was later reviewed and revert or not reversed. I believe it should have been reversed. Steven, what was your, what were your thoughts on, on that play as a whole? When I saw that, I thought in just my understanding of football, I thought that that should have been at rule to catch as it was, but as my understanding of the NFL's rules, that seems to be one of their rules where it's not a catch. I thought he had to have possession through the completion of the catch, and he did not. Because I mean, if you think no back to Des move. Bryant, mm-hmm. Calvin Johnson plays, they like they were explaining to us on the broadcast, like, oh, well, he caught the ball, landed, and then it came out. I go, well, that's what ha- that was like one of the big controversial plays in the last decade of football. Yeah. Des and you're telling didn't. me not. Like, there's no... Like they, 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 on a play like that, the referee needs to say, explain it, so they could set up some explanation of why that is a catch, but other ones aren't. You know, the one thing I hate too is the the insufficient evidence. Like, it, it's so vague that there, it, like, there is evidence that something's happening, but there's not enough to really turn it over. Like, I get that; that's part of the game, but you're seeing it on camera. You know, I, I think after looking at a review on replay, you should be able to su- sufficiently either keep the call as called or, you know, reverse it. Their insufficient evidence just doesn't make sense because if you're watching it on film, there's obviously evidence of something occurring. So did it happen or not? <laughs> that should be, I don't know, that's just me. And I agree with you that there should be some sort of decision made on whether or not that truly is a catch because... If this were a playoff game in Pittsburgh, that happened to Pittsburgh or, or any other team, you know, it would be a national media story for about four weeks. So, If that was a playoff game, that review would have taken 20 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it, the worst thing is I'm going to give AT&T, DirecTV, and NFL a negative shout-out here. My my game was fr- – or my TV was freezing throughout the entire broadcast. So, like, there were two or three times where one was the fourth and two with DeValve where I just didn't see it. So it was the third and two, and they were, like, going for it. Literally two seconds on the play clock, frozen. I'm like, like what happened, you know? So I got on Twitter and find out. Another one, too, was uh, when Jesse James caught a second touchdown to make it 21-7. I was like, you've or 21-10. I was like, it was fourth and two. Roethlisberger's about to snap the ball. I think on fourth and two, that's when the TV generally starts to freeze. So I'll just hopefully that doesn't happen too often anymore. But so annoying. Shout out to AT&T for the buffering. Do you they, want to move into after um, the shout out? Talk about <laughs> talk about some other grades. If we're giving them an F, yeah, I think we yeah we'll give AT and T an F for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we can go ahead and grade grade the segments. You know, we've talked about it quite a bit, but I would be curious to see what what your grades are for the team given what we've given already in the preseason. Yeah, let's start off with the one that we're going to have the same special teams F. Yes, because Easy. anytime the special teams has a negative play automatic failure we did so the positives from the special teams were a few decent returns from jabril peppers but Mm -hmm. when you give up a touchdown on your like when you're punting and you give up a touchdown killer and it was two minutes into the season i know the browns just went three and out 
it taught like I, I mentioned F. last week, just the deflating moments that happen in the in the first game of the regular season. Last year it was RG three getting hurt. You know, this year a punch right in the freaking gut two minutes into the game, all because of a missed block on the punt team. I do think it should be an F, but it might be an F plus because I have to say that the punt team did a pretty good job of getting them getting Pittsburgh pinned back there in their own territory quite a few times. So I'll F give them an F plus. F plus. I'll give them an F plus. And moving to the defense, I give a B minus because okay. they played well. They held them under 300 yards, but team still lost. Yeah. And if it was a three nothing loss or something, that's different. But there were some the catches by Brown. The one at the end of the game, it's just there was some there was wasn't much pressure on Roethlisberger. A lot of the a lot of the problems for the Steelers had a lot of penalties against themselves. Mm-hmm. They had just some missed passes, um, a rusty Le'Veon Bell maybe. So I think the defense played well. Don't get me wrong, I really do. But I think that there's much room for improvement, and they didn't play in a like an amazing game. Yeah, I'm gonna give them an A minus. Actually, I Ooh. thought. I thought they played really well. Like I said before, the punt, the punt block touchdown, and then that big pass interference, you know, outside of those two big plays, you know, you're looking at a seven, maybe 10, 10 points given up total based on, you know, how long was that pass interference? Like 41 yards, 50 yards, something like that. I mean, that's a total game changer. They stopped the run well. Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, no one really got going. They defended passes well. You know, I think they were just constantly knocking balls loose when receivers were making catches. Not too many penalties on the defensive side of the ball. Kindred had a big red zone interception. It's and that's what you need to do to beat teams like Pittsburgh when they're going down. When your your offense can't seem to make a play and you're giving up play after play after play, to be able to make an interception like that at the goal line is just crucial for a, a young team looking to get some victories early on in the season. That was my favorite play from the entire game. It got me off the recliner, amped yeah. up and excited. It was good. I mean. They also did a good job, and I I know Antonio Brown had 181 yards. Like that, it seems like a lot because it is a lot. But as a whole, they only threw for 263 yards. So you really break it down. I mean, it's almost like in basketball. You know, when you know one player is going to get his, you're almost trying to just limit what he does. They didn't necessarily limit Antonio Brown, but Martavis Bryant was ineffective. Like I said, Le'Veon Bell ineffective really nobody outside of Antonio Brown was able to make a play and not every team is going to have the type of options that Pittsburgh has at their disposal. So I think that's definitely a a neutral, not positive or negative to take from this game in terms of just being able to, to lock down like total yards of an offense. I think they did a good job of that. It was one of those patented uh, Calvin Johnson games where he gets 200 yards, but no touchdowns. It's all the yards, <laughs> no touchdowns. Good for fantasy, right? 18 points. Got to throw a couple, t- exactly. couple touchdowns and, in there can can win you a week. So, and moving to the offense, I will give another B minus. I think ger- that that's generous. I think that blocked punt putting them behind early affected the play calling. They the interception from Kaiser was killer. Mm-hmm. I think it was more of a rookie mistake. Obviously, without seeing the game film, it's tough to see what he was looking at. Yeah. But I think he played a solid game. I think Corey Coleman, the stats don't show a great game, but he played well, held Mm -hmm. on for that touchdown pass. The problem was just the running game, but I'm not sure from my view if it was the line, if there weren't any holes open, or if it was 
uh, some of the runs too were Crowell was starting so far in the backfield, and yeah. it was out of the shotgun already. Yeah, well, I get B minus. What about you? Uh, mine was a C plus. You know, I, I close. I agree with your sentiments on the running game. It's inefficient and eventually abandoned late in the game. You know, it was Hugh Jackson's Achilles heel last year, and even you would you saw it in the second quarter. They just they can't commit to the run. You know, they get down, and it's almost like he gets antsy, and they just he doesn't want to. He, he thinks that he can just get twenty yards on every play, and, and that'll be fine. And I'd gladly take it, but you know, when you're forcing your quarterback to drop back 30 times on his rookie debut, you know, maybe let's give the offensive or give the running backs a little bit more than than Deshaun Kaiser. But you know, the wide receivers really are not stepping up. They they can't really create any separation. I think that leads to a lot of sacks too by Deshaun Kaiser. You know, yeah, he's holding on to it too long, but is it? Be, it's probably because nobody's open. So, and Pittsburgh has a terrible secondary. So it obviously means that the receivers aren't getting open largely Kenny Britt, you know, that we talked about that drop disappearing act for most of the game. I do think, like I said, like you said, Coleman and and Kaiser are building a nice rapport together devalve too, but Kaiser still holding onto the ball too long. And, and I'll be anxious to see how this O line thing plays out, you know, with both the running game and the sacks. So I give it a C plus pretty similar grades. Yeah. I gave it the plus because obviously there were two touchdown drives, so it was a solid and a clutch game. touchdown drive. Yeah, too. I mean it was under two minutes. And the I think the big thing we wanted to take from this season is just feeling optimistic and feeling like we're in the game. I mean, this was one of the games where really the Browns were in it until the last three minutes, and even then, I mean, they one more possession and they could have tied it. But how many times can you say that about? every other game but you know it's just a, a fun game to watch and unfortunately it didn't work out for the browns this time positives looking forward after like you were saying it was being optimistic throughout the game i think the upcoming schedule after playing a team like the steelers who was close to the super bowl last year mm-hmm. got the ravens next week who did shut out the Bengals, but i'm not sure if that's because the Bengals are just horrible this year Man. if they can if they can squeak out a win against the ravens which is not entire i mean andy dalton threw four interceptions so i think if that happened to the browns they'd win that game too but i mean you squeak out a game against the ravens then you're going against the andrew Scott Luck- Tolzien. yeah you're going against the andrew luckless colts and the cincinnati Bengals, who like you said just got blown out 20 to nothing so i mean and use then this as a, the jets oh, man i'm not trying to play the and schedule the game but those are four winnable games right there four and one uh, that, <laughs> that the browns have have an opportunity to make some noise so Let's hopefully use this as a, a positive game to build off of, and hopefully Deshaun Kaiser gets the gets rid of the ball quicker. <laughs> Steven, to wrap things up here, you know, obviously a good game by the Browns, not good enough to win, but better than in years past. Is there something that you noticed elsewhere in the NFL that would be an interesting storyline that you want to share with with our listeners today? From when we're recording this, kind of Sunday around five o'clock, my biggest thing all day was the fact that the Texans started Tom Savage and pulled him at halftime for Deshaun Watson. Are you kidding me? Did you really think that Tom Savage was going to come out and light it up? I don't understand Bill O'Brien. They traded for the guy. Like, why would they just sit? I don't understand it. I don't understand what the Texans are doing, but good for them. Hey, we own their first and second round pick, so I hope they keep losing. They should start Tom Savage every game. <laughs> also, you know what's crazy about that? The Jags beat him, and my whole thing this preseason was the Jags quarterback situation. Blake Bortles shows up, lights him up. 
Yeah, Leonard Fournette looks like he's pretty good, too, so good for them. Oh, yeah. What's your storyline? Zeke getting granted his restraining order. Now he's allowed to play all year. Another classic case of somebody in the NFL not being held accountable for their actions. Again, I I understand the legality that he can be able to do something like this, uh, but, you know, the NFL has rules in place. If you have domestic violence issues, you know, it's automatic six games. And there was a lot of evidence pointing in, in against Zeke Elliott, and usually when there's smoke, there's fire. But, you know, when the legal case, they can do these things to make sure the player plays, and I get that, but the legal cases need to be uh, shortened in these kind of time frames to give the player the just and the league the justice that it deserves because now the NFL, like, the NFL looks like, they're powerless because they give a guy a six game suspension and now he's got nothing just because of lawyers and filing restraining orders and things like that. So I I hope the NFL can find out a way to really hold these players accountable for their actions off the field. Yeah. That's a whole problem of the NFL has their own discipline, but the NFL players association wants to be based strictly off court decisions. And it's very difficult. Like you said, he is playing. It's an odd situation. Um, but I mean, it's not good. We've kind of grown accustomed to it watching football and it's just kind of a crazy thing that hopefully they do find a way to get some structured discipline into the league. Yeah. And even though, you know, as we wrap things up, there was one giant storyline that we were not able to touch on today, but we'll actually talk about it next week is the Jason Lock and Fora article coming out about Hugh Jackson being irate at the fact that Joe, Joe Hayden had been cut and there now it has re-established the friction uh, that I guess existed previously between the head coach and front office. So I'll be interested to get your your thoughts on that article next week. Yeah, a little tease for the game preview and storyline update podcast yeah. coming later this week. All right, thank not you guys. Just, for not listening. next week. Later this week, we have another one coming. Exactly, we're uh, hard workers here at, at Dog Pound Daily. We work, oh, yeah. we work hard yeah. and smart, right? <laughs> Got to file 15 stories later. It's going to be a long one. But, yeah, that about wraps us up. It was a disappointing loss, but lots we're of used positives to, the Browns, to take away. The, the Browns don't win home openers, so we're not too disappointed. But They don't win season openers. 13 in a row that's now. That's true. Yeah. So, Well, that wraps it up for us. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you later this week.